Are you looking for killer graphics, a great logo, a promotional video, or even the coolest animations? Well, look no further than Kendall Peters Designs. Affordable work with that creative flair that you always need in your designer. Let Kendall Peters Designs make your product or service sparkle. Go to www.kendallpeters.com. That's K-E-N-D-L-E-P-E-T-E-R-S.com. KendallPeters.com. She'll make your business look fantastic. Metal show from the Born Again release with Disturbing the Priest featuring... uh, Ian Gillen on uh, lead vocal. Right. So uh, apparently, as uh, Tim brought up in the last uh, segment, that uh, Tony Iommi is thinking about uh, remastering this thing. Yeah. It needs it. It's the the mix on it was just shit. Well, you know, obviously, uh, Black Sabbath went through a lot of changes, you know, making their mark with Ozzy and of course, uh, Ronnie James Dio. And then he had a cavalcade of singers on various releases and various incarnations of black Sabbath. And who knows, maybe that was one of those that uh, wasn't a highly funded album or something. I don't know. It came right after mob rules. So it should have, they should have still had money. Mm, hard to say, you know, I don't know. It just, it's one of those records that, you know, that, people were talking about in the chat and I think I've heard this before as well, that they were happy with the mix. They turned it in and then somebody else mixed it behind them. Maybe, maybe Don mixed it behind their back. Yeah. When Davis jumped in there and fucked it all up. Right. <laughs> George Lynch and then recorded breaking the chains and then he remixed it behind my back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but something had to have happened because it sounds terrible. And I mean, if you listen to it like through headphones or whatever, it's just it's just terrible sounding, all muddy and loud and like trashy sounding. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just did not work for them at all. That's you know, they Headless Cross had a much better mix when and and truthfully, they were just reaching at that point. I think they were Dio left, they were going to singer number three. They were just reaching for anybody who was famous and out there. And they knew probably knew Ian Gillen. We're just like, Hey mate, what are you doing? Want to, want to do a record? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, fuck, I ain't got nothing else to do. I'm not doing deep purple. So on he went. Sure. Uh, Tony Iommi says that he is contemplating remixing black Sabbath born again. Uh, for a future release issued in August of 1983, Born Again was the only album Sabbath recorded with lead vocalist Ian Gillen, best known for his work with Deep Purple. It was also the last of Sabbath studio albums to feature drummer Bill Ward. Uh, in a new interview with uh, so-and-so to promote the reissue of uh, Sabbath's Sabotage LP, Iomi spoke about his plan to release a deluxe version of other albums from the band's catalog. There should be a box set from the Tony Martin era. That would be uh, 1987 to 1991, and then again in 94 to 96. I know you're a fan. I am, big fan. 
Uh, the guitarist says, I'm also thinking about remixing the album Born Again, the one with Ian Gillen, now that we have found the original tapes. That always that always makes me uh, wonder uh, when they say, well, we found them. It's like, well, where were they? Well, I, I you know what? Believe it or not, I have an answer for this this case. And this is going to be one of those times that we're going to, we're going to give a, give a full salute to one Mr. Eddie trunk. Uh, Eddie interviewed uh, Tony, uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago, month Mm -hmm. and a half ago. And, and he asked him about what he had been doing during the pandemic. And Tony said that he had this vault of music that he's kept through his entire history. And, but none of it was cataloged. Like he did. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember. I think we actually talked about that. We may have. But, yeah. But he he's been he spent the whole pandemic going through and cataloging this stuff because he had all these tapes and you know reels and stuff, but nothing. It it never said. Well, these are the first three tracks of this album, or this is the raw mix, or it just was like box. You know, just you know, just boxes of shit that he had to go through. So as he as he's been going through, I'm sure he's been finding all kinds of stuff that he wished he would have had before. And that's why we're getting all these remix, these box sets, because he has all this stuff to put out now mm-hmm. that that feels new and fresh. So. Well, what, what's always interesting is that uh, these, you know, these guys, these musicians, somehow these tapes these original tapes they they get misplaced or they as Mm -hmm. in this case where it wasn't even marked perhaps right oh and it's it's like at what point did did it just like oh this is the original and you just throw it over here in the corner somewhere you know and you know it's like you just spent you know six eight nine months and you know five hundred thousand dollars and this is your end product and you stick it in a box somewhere and toss it in in the corner somewhere you know I think you're leaving out the part that's important to this story. They are a bunch of 20 and 30 year old drug addicts. Yeah, I guess. You know, more than than likely it was some girlfriend. It was like, Hey babe, put this somewhere. Would you put this somewhere that I won't lose it? Would you? And they threw it in a fucking closet. Yeah. And, and the thing about, you know, the thing about the, the audio tapes is that they uh, deteriorate after so long and, you know, oftentimes they're not salvageable if if they weren't kept in a, you know, a temperature controlled environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the way that uh, at least the way that it seemed to be explained that Tony actually had a temperature controlled environment where he has his tape collection. You know, it's not just willy nilly, just, you know, in boxes in an attic somewhere where it can, you know, be. um susceptible to heat and cold and you know varying temperatures he's wealthy enough where he can keep his whole house at a cool 65 (laughs) exactly never deteriorates nothing does not him not the not the products nothing it's all half refrigerated all the time right (laughs) uh following the departure of lead singer ronnie james dio and uh drummer vinnie a piece uh after the studio mixing of live evil album Black Sabbath was once again on the lookout for yet another lead vocalist to fill the significant void left at the stage front. The band turned to Gillen. The uh, resulting, let's see, the resultant album and live touring certainly made one of the more curious associations the world of heavy metal 
Much of the era of Black Sabbath has passed into rock folklore and was actually the source of the material used in a rockumentary movie. This is Spinal Tap. From the replica stage production of Stonehenge, which was too large for some of the venues, on the world tour to the employment of a dwarf to dress up and play a part of the devil baby from the LP front cover, and the world of Black Sabbath took on a distinct era of the surreal. While the well-received Born Again album and live dates succeeded in stoking the embers and kept Sabbath flames burning, this would ultimately be a marriage built more on friendship and respect as opposed to any long-lasting, compatible musical association. After one tour, Ian Gillen would eventually bid farewell and rejoin the old sparring partners for the MK2 reunion, Deep Purple, and leave Black Sabbath once again, uh, uh, once more gazing into the crystal ball, hoping the face of yet another lead vocalist would reveal itself. From Iomi, Geezer, Butler, Ward, and Gillen, the keyboardist Jeff Nichols' uh, work would swiftly commence in May of 83 at the Manor Studios in the village of Shiptonin, Sherwell, Oxshire. Right. <laughs> wow. Okay. Produced by Black Sabbath and co-producer Robin Black, who also had worked on 1975 Sabotage, 1976 Technical Ecstasy. In 1978's Never Say Die, Sabbath's 11th, 11th studio release would represent a radical departure from the gloomy atmosphere and blackened lyricism that had forged the, forged the identity and spawned innumerable uh, descendants. Right. Gillen's approach to the songwriter writing bespoke lighter-hearted approach to what had until then been the primary concern of Butler album opener trashed for instance was inspired by gillen's boozed up racing around the manor's ground in bill ward's car and ended up near catastrophe and wrecked the vehicle <laughs> do you remember the first time you heard this album though did you think that it was like markedly different from what they had been doing uh well i i would agree that it wasn't quite as doomy right you know, it wasn't so dark and doomy. It it had more of a, I don't know what. Uh, I guess I guess it it was kind of more thrashy. It was it was a little faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I just remember when I heard it, and I was like, because I I just didn't dig. I I never dug Gillen's voice. Mm -hmm. Like even in purple, I'm just not. It just I'm not a fan. And I just remember when I heard it, you know, because I you know back then you didn't even know when singers unless you were real clued in, which I was not at that point, you didn't know that people left bands even, you, you know, you never knew. So I just remember hearing, I was like, Oh, what happened? This doesn't sound like what I used to listen to. Right. Cause you know, my, my black Sabbath at the time was two records, you know, heaven and hell and mob rules. That was all I knew of black Sabbath. So then I heard this was like, eh, what is this? Yeah. Certainly not. Uh, it's not Dio. No, it's definitely not. Hmm. Disturbing the priest was the result of a door in the studio having been left open during the playback and a local vicar appearing in the doorway asking for the volume to be turned down as it was disturbing choir practice in the adjacent village. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, you rock and roller, you booze hounds. Hey, you heathens. Yeah, turn that shit down. That's right. 
Uh, for all of its off-kilter appearance, however, Born Again was still Sabbath through and through, musically twisted and possessed with more than a whiff of brimstone. The album is a thrilling glimpse into the alternative world. That's a lot of publicist writing there. Jesus. In a 2018 interview with Sirius XM, Gillen said that Born Again began uh, with a bender at the Bear Inn, one of the oldest pubs in Oxford, England. How it started, it was just because uh, we got drunk together one night, the Deep Purple frontman said. I went for a drink with Tony and Geezer, and we ended up under the table. And I can't <laughs> remember much more that happened, but I got a call from my manager the next day saying, don't you think you should call me if you're going to make a decision like this? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, apparently you, I just got a call. You agreed to join Black Sabbath. So that's how it happened. I was kind of loose. Uh, I was kind of a loose end anyway, just having finished with my own band, Purple, not really being uh, anything viable at the time. So we set a one-year plan, and it was to do an album and a tour. Nobody knew what was going to happen, so we pitched up, and I pitched my... Let's see. So we pitched up, and I pitched my tent literally at the old manor, uh, and we made an album. I didn't see much of them. They were night people, so they spent all day. They slept all day and worked all night. I got up in the morning, cooked my breakfast, went to the studio to hear what they had recorded the night before and write a song over it. And that's how the album was made. So it's a, so it's a totally disjointed record, which is exactly what it feels like. Yeah. So so the so the musicians played and recorded the songs and he would get up and say, What did these guys do last night? Oh well this <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of weird that you go. I, I, well, I think I could write a song to this. Yeah. Boy, how'd you like to be that producer? That's basically working 23 hours a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, Gillen went to describe the making of born again as a challenge for me. It was a bit like doing Andrew Lloyd Webber's rock opera, Jesus Christ, superstar or singing with opera singer, uh, Luciano Pavarotti. It's just something completely different. He explained, but Tony is such a great writer, you know, what to expect with Tony. There's no multi-directional approach. He is the father of everything that came out of Seattle. I believe he's just very direct and that's how he involved. He had involved from the days early on. I found it very easy to sing and write songs with Tony. Ian continued and he had a couple of good tunes. There was always a narrative. My favorite song from the album is trashed, uh, which was a true story about a racetrack and too much to drink and spinning a car and crashing it and going upside down. It was exciting times. <laughs> <laughs> the second track on the uh, album Born Again was a brief instrumental called Stonehenge. And on Sabbath's 1983 uh, tour, the band hilar hilariously had to shelve a Stonehenge stage concept because the scenery was much too big to use. <laughs> we had a production company called Light and Sound Design. They were in Birmingham where the band was based, Gillen recalled. And after rehearsing one day, we had kind of a meeting to go to the office and we were just walking through these corridors. One of the guys said, by the way, anyone got an idea of a concept for a stage set or anything? And Geezer Butler said, yeah, Stonehenge. And the guy said, wow, that's great. He said, how do you visualize it? And Geezer said, well, life size, of course. We didn't, we didn't quite go life-size, but it was about two-thirds, and we could never get it up on the stage. 
we played some huge arenas and places and stadiums and you couldn't get it up there. So there are parts of it. There are monoliths that are all lying around the dockland somewhere. And we spotted around the world as far as I know. <laughs> so they just like left bits and pieces all over the place. Just threw it out the back of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> A longtime treasure among some hardcore Sabbath fans. Born Again was re-released in the spring of 2011 as a special two-CD uh, featuring 1983 live performance from the Reading Festival. At the time of the initial release, Born Again was a commercial success. It was the highest charting Black Sabbath album in the United Kingdom since Sabbath Bloody Sabbath and became an American Top 40 hit. Despite oh. this, it became the first Black Sabbath album to not have an RIAA certification, gold or platinum in the U.S. Really? So it charted well, but then died as soon as it came out. Yeah, it just didn't. It didn't sell. It. it yeah, I guess initially when it came out, it, it charted high, but it didn't sell a lot. So that first group of hardcores bought it immediately, and then they were like, "What the fuck is this?" Played it for their friends, and their friends were like, "Nah, not me, man." Yeah, I've moved on from that. I'm buying Judas Priest screaming for vengeance. Exactly. So there you are. So if you are a fan of that stuff, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for perhaps an opportunity for you to uh, get a remastered copy of it. Right. Do you like, uh, do you, I mean, do you hear I, this one? Obviously you'll hear a re you'll hear a difference, but for most things, do you truly listen and say, Oh, this is so much fucking better when they. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've heard remasters where it there was stuff in there, some nuances and stuff that were buried in the mix that that were brought out. So yeah, I, I've heard I've heard remixes that it's like, wow, I never heard that. You know, I don't know some instrument in the background or something. Right. You so know. remaster to to really appreciate a remaster, you got to be a hardcore. Yeah, fan. Uh, yeah. Of course, you you got to really know it very well. Right. See, maybe that's why I don't get into remasters that much because I'm just not that attached to any one band, you know, to where I play the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. You know, I maybe, I don't know. But even like the Metallica stuff, I listened to all the Metallica remasters and I didn't hear that big of a difference. Not enough to, not enough to warrant $250 a release. Mm -hmm. You know, it, that just seemed a little stupid. Well, I'll give you one example, you know, since you're talking about something that you've listened to quite a bit, mm -hmm. when Dokken got back together in 94, they recorded, um, dysfunctional, right. but it was originally released in Japan just as Dokken. It, it didn't have a, uh, a title title or anything. Right. Well, the version, the Japan version of the same CD when Sony signed them here in the U S and they released it as functional, mm -hmm. there's a totally different mix on that. Oh, really? And you know, even though they're the same songs and stuff, uh, and they, they sound very similar. There's a lot of nuances that are different from the Japan version and the U S dysfunctional version. Now who mixed it? Um, who, who went and mixed it? Was it, uh, yeah, well, it was Wynn Davis. Okay. But, now, did he do the original mix too? Yeah, he did, but but they used like a different, like like maybe they used a different guitar track or a different vocal track or something like that. Because right. there's there's certain 
vocal lines in the Japan version that are different than the uh, than the American version. Okay. And then there's different guitar sounds and things that George Lynch played that that are different from the dysfunctional. So it's I'm, like a whole different mix. So I'm assuming you have both, which is better. I, I like the Japan mix. I because I, because they they um slick slickened it up, I guess, as if that's a term. Okay. For for the American release. So the, they, they, the, they polished the corners. They did. Oh, they did. They definitely polished it up. Okay. Yeah. But you can definitely tell the difference between the two. And I like that. Like I said, I like the Japan mix. It it's kind of a more raw feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, there definitely is a difference when, when it is truly remixed. Right. Yeah. And and some things are definitely like, I know there was the, um, the two mixes of, uh, white snake, 1980 was no, not 1987. The one before it, the slide it in album, slide it in. There was the, what the English mix and the U S mix. And it's night and day different. That's that's probably the biggest, starkest difference I've ever seen in in where a mix made a bunch of difference. But mm-hmm. you know, like remat, like and maybe I'm thinking more like remasters and whatnot. I never really, I never really get the the thirty year remaster, the twenty year remaster. It all still sounds the same to me. Well. Part of it is, especially if you have the original tapes, because you can, mm-hmm. you can remi- you can remix and remaster each individual track. Right. And, but if you don't have the original and all you're doing is re-releasing it and you're just maybe putting more gain on it or something and just mm-hmm. making it louder or something like that, that's not really a true remix. Right. And that's what most of them do is they just turn it up to 20 you know, and, and call it a remaster. And it's really not, it's just louder. You know, it's just, and and I hate that. I hate, I'm a, I, as much as I love it to be blasting through my headphones, I still like there to be levels all the way up. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't stand when I go halfway up on my headphones. It's just like, well, that that's the whole thing in the digital realm Mm -hmm. early on, early on in the digital realm, when, when they stopped, recording on on tape and stuff they they started almost making all the levels uh compressed right. you know where it was just like one if if you look at the if you look at the wave line of yeah. you know it's it's just one solid line right. instead yeah. of the you know the jaggedy peaks and valleys as it were right you know and and that's just just that's just the you know, the hazards of the digital age, but they've gotten a lot better with that now to where even though they're recording digitally, they, they have that ability right. to uh, give it almost like a, a analog sound. Right. You know, so. I guess it's good when they, when they take the time to remaster or remix something that people really felt they got gypped on like this record, like the born again record, you know, a lot of people have always complained about the mix on born again. So it's it's cool to have that. What bugs me is, and Roadrunner always was the king of doing this. Put out a record, and six months later, they they release it remastered with like two bonus tracks or whatever. It's like, what kind of cash grab is this shit? <laughs> you know, d- does it really need to be remastered six months later? Yeah. You know, I mean, come on, that's garbage. But everybody's got to make money, I guess. So I, I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. 
but you know there there are certain albums out there that that have benefited from you know remix or remaster Mm -hmm. that that maybe you know when they were first originally released maybe there wasn't the budget for it or maybe the the engineer who worked on it or the producer who worked on it didn't quite wasn't quite the right person for it right and then somebody that has you know is more um in sync with with whoever the band might be or the album Mm -hmm. they might have a different take on well here i'll give you a prime example our good friends red rain yeah sure i mean they they put out their chasing shadows release which you did a nice review for them and Mm -hmm. actually kind of gave them a little uh launch into uh you know being uh what you want to call given some notoriety sure But, but then when they hooked up with producer david ivory he -hmm. took those exact same songs and he remastered those or remixed them and stuff and they came out a lot different yeah and not necessarily better (laughs) well i mean i said different i didn't say better. yeah they did exactly like you're saying with the docking thing they shaved the pot they shaved the edge right off of those yeah it it was it was very raw it was a very raw album that they put out and then it then they uh polished it up And now they're throwing more turtle wax on it by redoing it again with somebody else, aren't they? Well, they're they're recording new songs. Uh, yeah, but didn't they new just songs. release release? Uh, it's not that way yet yeah, again. They, they did, dude. I love Sammy, but stop it. Come on, you know you've been working that song for ten years. <laughs> Seriously, when did these shadows come out? About six years ago. Yeah, I mean it's been a long time. Mm-hmm, it has. You know, it's like, all right, we got it. We already got a remix of it. Time to move on. Yeah, it's their boss hit bound single. I guess so. They're gonna they're gonna remix it until some fucking radio station picks it up, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> well, he did he did tell me though that I talked to him the other day and we were just chit chatting a little bit. And right. they they have a bunch of songs, new songs right. that they're recording now with a new producer. Okay. And uh he said that they're going to re record demons. Okay, good. So we'll see how that works out. That might be good. It was good live. It was good. They they did it just for me. Yeah. And if I remember right, Stevie didn't play on the original, right? No. no. So that should be good. That should actually. I love those guys. I wish they were more active. And, and by active, I mean, I know they play as much as they can, but I wish they could get whatever break they need to get. to. I agree. To get out there and be able to do six months on the on the road and actually get a real shot at this yeah because they've well, got you're the music. You're on the road man well they have the music and they have they the stage show for it they do you know they they actually are strong performers live like they're not necessarily the music but the way they perform they don't look like every fucking local band mm-hmm. you know, that just kind of stands there and plays to the the chick that's going to blow them after the show you know they actually get up there and do a do a good set and play to the fans and yeah plus plus is a really good singer yeah you so. know yeah i i they're they're very good yeah bubba's a great singer not so much a great uh mosquito <laughs> but they do have spirit fingers on their side yeah spirit fingers they got they got the, the mosquito balls or whatever that was what was that story deep balls deep balls 
and spraying his balls because he and his chick like to lay out naked on their on their yeah. uh, um on their deck or something yeah on their deck and so he sprayed his balls with uh with bug spray, spray. <laughs> deep balls deep balls <laughs> <laughs> those guys are characters yeah they're funny yeah that that you know going back a few years ago uh when they came to fiori's yeah um that that surprised the shit out of me to walk into that hotel and see you actually down there hoisting a few drinks with those guys. Yeah, I fooled y'all and showed up. You did. <laughs> it's like, it's, holy holy shit, Chris is actually here. Yeah, I and and it was so last second because I I had actually I think I had told um um Sammy that I wasn't coming. I think I had actually been on the phone with Sammy. And I was like, ah, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it, whatever. And then I just said, you know what? Fuck this. And I jumped in my car and just went. Yeah. Well, I was on the phone with you on my way in. Maybe it was you. And I was on, on the phone and, and I was like maybe an hour out. From right. Maslin and, and I said, yeah, I'm going to be down there. And go, yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it. And then I get down there and there you are. Yeah. I, I just decided to come out. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, very cool. All right, uh, except uh, they've had they've had numerous band guys come and go. Sure. And uh, former except members uh, Herman Frank uh, and David Reese, who were friends and fans of. Sure. Uh, they're collaborating on a new project. Well, any excitement at all in this? I don't know. Uh, former except members Herman Frank and David Reese are working together on a new project. Right. So do you think it'll sound like, uh, what was the one David Reese was on? Oh, what was it? Was it just, it was just called Reese or what? Bangladore choir? Or? No, 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 no. The except album. Oh, um, um, some heart. Um, oh, what is the album he did? God damn it. Uh, metal heart. Was it metal heart? Was it metal? No, it's not metal heart. Oh, what is it? David Reese. Eat the heat. There you go. I was, I, I was thinking it had something to do with fire. Yeah. But it's eat, heat. Eat the heat. Okay. Uh, Frank, who is promoting his fifth solo album, Two for a Lie. Broke the news of the collaboration in a brand new interview. Uh, he said, I'm working right now, already working since a couple of months ago on another project I want to do with a singer, a well-known singer. He played in the same band as I did, but we never played in the band at the same time. When Smoulison, uh guessed that Frank uh, was referring to David Reese, the guitarist said, how did you know? Good guess. Right. Wow, look at that. He's he's a wizard. Well, who else would it be? I don't know. <laughs> Herman went on to say that he is not involved in Reese's ongoing collaboration with ex-UDO uh, center guitarist Andy Sussamil. Is that how you say his name? Sounds good to me. Okay. David is doing his Reese album, I know, Frank said, but I'm in contact with David. Hey, we'll see. It's like Christmas. I think we have a have to wait a couple more weeks. Right. Herman joined Accept in 1982, shortly before the release of the band's uh, Restless and Wild album, and exited the group from the first time 
uh, for the first time after the arrival of the 1983's Balls to the Wall. Wow. When Accept reunited for the festival appearances in 05, Herman handled the second guitar duties alongside founding Axeman Wolf Hoffman with Stefan Schwarzman sitting behind the kit. Frank and Schwarzman were involved in Accept's comeback with singer Mark Tornillo. It sounds like a monster, doesn't it? A Frank and Schwarzman? Yeah. Frank and Schwarzman. <laughs> right. Frank and Schwarzman. <laughs> Uh, and appeared on the uh, reunited group's first three studio albums, 2010's Blood of the Nations, 2012's Stalingrad, and 2014's Blind Rage. Okay. Two years ago, Herman told All That Shreds about his decision to exit, except in December of 2014, it was just time to leave the band. Let's put it this way. I wanted to do music the way I started to do it. I want to have my own band. I wanted my own music and just want to play my own leads, not to follow somebody's guitar. I was getting too old for it. It's fine to be a backup, but after a couple of years, it's time for a different thing. Mm. I'm playing second fiddle, man. Yeah. I'm going to give you a panzer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Reese, uh, what's that? I said, which sounds exactly like Accept. <laughs> exactly, it does. Uh, Reese was recruited for Accept's Eat the Heat LP in 1989 following the departure of uh, Udo Dirk Schneider. Right. Reese's high-pitched delivery was in sharp contrast to Dirk Schneider's distinctive style, and overall the album was critical and commercial disappointment. Oh, boy. Midway through Eat the Heat, uh, tour differences between the band and Reese had come to a head, leading to the altercation between the singer and bassist Peter Baltus in Chicago. By the end of 1989, Except had hung it up. Right. So we're done, fuckies. <laughs> uh, David spoke about the circumstances that led to his dispute with the bassist during the interview with uh, whatever he explained. Peter had told my girlfriend I was having an affair and I asked him, did you tell her that? And he said, yes. So I slapped him. Ooh, I slapped him. Wow. That ended it. It was bad before that. The communication ticket sales weren't good and we were opening for wasp. <laughs> wow. He says that with such disdain too. And God damn it, we were opening for Wasp. Well, remember, remember, uh, you, let me see if you remember uh, the uh, tour, the disaster of a tour that came apart in Cleveland that another band was touring with Wasp. We're sorry, remember, it was Motorhead. Yeah, yeah, Motorhead and Wasp. Yeah. Lemmy said, fuck you, pal, out of here. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got into it in Cleveland. Yeah. And they were supposed to play Chicago the next night. And I think that didn't happen or no. just one of the bands showed up. I think oh, Motorhead God. bailed. Yeah. Motorhead just said, fuck it. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he continued. I think they really thought that getting the American singer in, they were going to break the United States, but except aren't really huge in America, like in Europe. That's why they hired me. They wanted a change. And the tour was going kind of slow. We did a headlining tour first in the States, playing in the clubs. That was good. And then we went out with Wasp and Metal Church. And it was half-filled rooms, so they were feeling the stress of that. And the communication was bad, so it was building. David went on to say that he is sorry for assaulting his former. <laughs> you're, you're apologizing now? Yeah, why are you apologizing this long ago? That yeah, was, that, was, that was over 30 years ago. 
Sorry, I slapped you 30 years ago. I hope you're okay. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, David went on to say that he is sorry for assaulting his former bandmate. Peter and I are friends now, he, he said, adding that it was a bad decision that was made while he and the rest of the group were under a lot of stress. Being in a band, it can be a lot of drama. He had no right to tell her that, and I had no right to slap him, so I regret it. Oh, just stop. I I, I love David Reese. He's, he's, he's a friend of the show and like a true friend. You know, and and I personally am friendly with David, but dude, please stop apologizing for some shit you did 30 whatever years ago. Yeah, if you're friends with Peter now, why are you apologizing? Don't even bring it up. Yeah, it's not even, you know, you you can bring it up out of the thing. Well, this is why the thing fell apart. Mm. This is why I left the band. But this, well, I apologize and I'm sorry I did it. And, you know, so what? The bruises may have healed, Neely, but the but the heart is still wounded. <laughs> the, Stop it! Yeah, the first cut is the deepest. Man. Oh yeah, it's it's still oozing. Yeah. Oh, just stop! It's affairs of the heart, man. Oh brother, the metal heart. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went up to him and said, "Here, eat the heat, bitch." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I left my fingerprints on the side of his cheek. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, I slapped him. Eat this heat. What, what guy What guy says he slapped another guy? No, no one. Why don't you just say you punched him, even that's, if you didn't slap him? That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I slapped him. Yeah, even if you did, you still say you punched him. You <laughs> never say I slapped him. <laughs> then I shook my finger at him sternly. <laughs> Then I wrote him a very strong word le worded letter. Yes, I did. <laughs> then I called him and said, you were very, very mean. Yeah. And then I hung the phone up very abruptly. I did. I slammed went, the phone down. He was saying something and I said, click. <laughs> Goodbye, sir. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there take that fella yeah <laughs> yeah i i like david reese he's he's a good guy i i i, I did a video interview with him mm -hmm. about a year ago or so yeah and uh just just a real entertaining guy to talk to just very friendly just yeah. very open you know easy going laid back mm -hmm. just, yeah he's really great i yeah. i'm i'll support anything he does just because he's a really good dude you know and, and just based on the fact that he's a good dude, always willing to support him. Yeah. Always. So, yeah, I, I like, uh, like David Reese. I, I, I did like his last album. It was kind of very dark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And, and I, I just talked to, um, to, um, the other guy, Herman, um, Herman Frank, I don't know, two months ago or something, a couple months ago, I talked to Herman about his. Herman Frank record. We chat about that. And he's a typical German guy. You ask him a question. You get the real direct answer. <laughs> there's no, there's no beating around the bush with him. It's like, so did you, did you, did you enjoy recording with so-and-so? Yes, <laughs> very much. So it was a wonderful time. <laughs> so funny. I love interviewing the German guys, man. They are so brutally hard. You know, I, I guess living in that environment or something, but man, every time you talk to you ask, you ask them anything. So Herman, what's the weather like out there? It is sunny and high of 72. 
<laughs> okay, easy. It's very, very fact-driven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But very hard, too. Like, you better understand it the first time, because I ain't saying this twice. Right. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. Love them. Yeah, that, that <laughs> last uh, David Reese album, that Cacophony of Souls, I think that was. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that was pretty good. That was a good record. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I think we'll maybe even play some. That sounds good to me. Maybe take us out of the story. What do you think? Works for me. All right. Well, we'll play a few tunes here. We'll come back, do some more stuff. So uh, we're going to play something from David Reese from right. the of Accept. And who else did he sing for? Anybody else? Ang- Anglador Choir. Yeah, that's, that's true. So uh, let's see here. What was the name of this tune that I like? This one was just called... Um, Oh shit. This is called Damn it. Chasing something. Can't see it. Um I think this is called just Chasing the Shadows. Oh no, I like Judgment Day. That's the song I like. This is the song I like. It is Judgment Day. This is the song I like. It is Judgment Day. And you will like it. And you will be judged on Judgment Day. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, here's uh, David Reese with Judgment Day exclusively here. On your classic metal show. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Classic Metal Show. Get all of our episodes uncensored at www.theclassicmetalshow.com. Join us weekly from 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. Eastern at www.cmsradio.net. Participate in the live chat room at www.chatandkill.com. Once again, thank you for checking out the Classic Metal Show with Neely and Chris. Hail and kill. Fuck you, pal. Hand job. (laughs) 